0: back into down the line as always i'm your host carson Breber, and today we continue to inch closer to the now much abbreviated u.s open hardcourt swing which will basically just be the western and southern open in cincinnati and then the u.s open itself so we don't get the normally much anticipated longer u.s open series but still there's plenty of tennis to be played after that if things go according to plan if we get A couple of Masters 1000s on clay in the French Open, maybe Shanghai, Paris, and London. Then we still have a bunch of tennis left on the men's side. And today we're going to be talking about the men's side and discussing eight guys who I think we should all be on the lookout for when tennis returns. Obviously not talking about the obvious super top level guys like Rafa and Djokovic. Who cares about that? My first one is Brandon Nakashima, who is certainly the most off the radar on this list. Unless you're an American tennis fan, then you're probably relatively excited about him he's only ranked number 220 in the world which means that on his own merits he would not qualify for the main draws at any of the major tournaments that remain but he's just 18 years old he's almost 19 but still just 18 and he's had some really impressive results against other pro level legitimate players his only ATP tournament that he's played in his career was in Delray Beach when he got to the quarterfinals beating both Vesely and Nori two very legitimate pros and then pushing Nishioka to a tight three-setter. Nishioka, who's had a really successful season himself. And then, if you look at how he followed up that performance, he made the semis of the Indian Wells Challenger, which is a large draw. It's a 64 draw. And to do that, he beat Sugita. He beat Caruso. He beat Marcos Giron, all of whom are in the top 104 in the world rankings right now. Again, legitimate pros you expect to see in slams. And then he lost in a tight three sets to Jack Sock, who obviously, at his peak, has been the number 8 player in the world. Then, you look at what he's done during the COVID times, and he played an exhibition in Miami with a bunch of the other American pros, and he did really well. He beat Harkash, he also beat Opelka, both of them in straight sets, obviously it's not a typical format, they were just playing sets to four, but still, you know, he was incredibly composed, he's incredibly mentally tough and solid all around, he moves well, he's got good strokes from both sides, and, you know, now under the tutelage of Dusan Vemich, who has taken over as his... Coach, a friend of the program here, because we had him on for an interview a few months ago, and he's a really nice guy. Hopefully, things go well with him. Now, we're going to see what strides he can continue to take. His only loss in that exhibition was in a third set tiebreak to Tennis Sangren, a match that he very well could have won. So, another thing that you have to consider here is with other people possibly sitting out, and no, hopefully, really, fingers crossed, it's not a huge portion of ATB players who decide to opt out of tournaments, but you got to assume that there will at least be a couple people who opt not to play. We've already seen Simona Halep discussing that on the women's side. So you have to consider with that factor that there will be a couple more open spots and draws and just the general excitement around him among Americans who are the ones who determine the wild cards. you got to think he'll get wild cards into certainly the U.S. Open, hopefully Cincinnati as well, And then, if he can accrue some points there, maybe we get to see him play extended into the clay court swing, and that might be a little bit too overly optimistic. But regardless, I want to see him continue to get legitimate ATP results, because we've seen him compete with these guys, but primarily it has been on either the challenger stage or this exhibition stage lately. I want to see him in those real tournament environments, and I think that he'll do perfectly well there, because he is so composed and mentally tough, especially for an 18-year-old, and that's going to continue to be a great asset for him. It's something that a lot of Americans have lacked, just keeping your head together and you know, maximizing your talent. And we've seen guys like Sam Querrey and Donald Young, not to say that they're head cases, but they failed to maximize their talents. And I think that Brandon Nakashima is someone who can really do that. I don't think his ceiling is particularly high. I certainly don't see him being a top 10 player. He's just not commanding enough with any of his strokes. He doesn't have that one distinctive thing from the ground. And I don't think he's you know, you don't want to bet on someone being a GoFan, rare level, grinded out kind of guy, but I do think that he can have a really good pro career. And I don't wanna, you know, write anything off the table yet because he's still so young. My next guy is another young guy, a little bit older. He's 24, but he hasn't been relevant on the tour for all that long. But he's really kind of jumped up in the rankings, and that's Christian Garin, who right now is ranked number 18 in the world and i'm not sure how convinced i am i really don't think he's a legitimate top 20 player i want to see more consistent results but you have to pay attention because he is world number 18 now and he's racked up some big time points this year already has two titles to his name this year at cordoba and rio which he won back to back but as far as winning tournaments go, that's about as easy as it gets. Six of the nine players he beat across those two tournaments were ranked outside the top 80, and he really was not playing well before then. He was off to a pretty cold one in five start. So yes, he was good last year, 32 and 24, won two small clay court titles early in the year, just like he did this year. And he gets to keep the points from those two tournaments, you know, assuming that he counts them in his 18 countable tournaments, which he certainly will because it's 250 points each. So that means that he's going to have the points for four titles this year. So he's going to stick around. But what I want to see is how does he do outside of clay in these big spots? Because now he's a seed. He, you know, if he does well enough could end up sliding into being a top 16 seed, especially when you consider the fact that Federer is already out. That's one spot knocked out of the equation. I just am not all that sold on his game. He doesn't really have any imposing weapons. He moves well. He's solid from both sides. I do like his backhand. He's a solid server. It's not exceptional. He really, you know, slices it more often than not, and he's not trying to go out there and dominate with it. So I just think when you compare him to people like that, and there are weaponless players out there who find a lot of success... But, you know, I just compare him to some of those guys like Alex Dimonar. You might say is a guy who doesn't have traditional weapons, but he's a ridiculous mover, and he can slap that ball when he needs to. He can hit it really hard. Or the other guys, you know, everyone has to have something that stands out. Kane Akori has just a brilliant backhand down the line, and then he's a good mover, and everything else about his game, maybe it's unexceptional, but he finds a way to capitalize and to maximize his talent. And Gardin, I guess, has made the most out of what he has. I'm just... Not really sold on him as a top 20 player at all, in fact, and so I want to see how he does here in what will be a primarily hardcourt stretch for the rest of the year, but we are going to have, you know, as I mentioned, a couple of Masters 1000s on clay, and then we'll have the French Open, so we'll see if he can actually make some noise there, because his results on clay have been impressive. The third player who I think we should all look out for, and who I expect many people already will be, because he's always on the radar, is Nick Kyrgios, and... And the reason this is particularly interesting right now is kind of twofold. First off, he finally has some time off to, you know, collect his thoughts and see if he really wants to improve his game and who knows what he's been doing for the most part. But this can kind of be a make it or break it stretch for him because if he's ever going to find his passion and reignite his desire to be great at this sport, you would think now is the time when he's had it taken away from him now. I don't necessarily want to take that romantic perspective because I don't think he loves tennis, but if he's ever going to find out that he does love tennis, it's going to be now that he hasn't had it for so long and you get to experience the joy of competition again. Um, But it is just a job for him for the most part, I think, and I don't know if that will necessarily happen. But the other interesting part is that he's come after so many people during COVID. He's come after Zverev and Team and Djokovic, all the people involved in the Adria Tour, people who you know were caught out partying and whatnot so he has the talent to make a statement against any of those guys you would think and he does a lot of talking about how he's 2-0 versus Djokovic personally not the best sample size in my opinion but of course you know he's gotten Rafa he always plays the big three very tight because he's tremendously talented but he's a number 40 player in the world now he was playing well early in the 2020 season. He beat Sitsipas in the ATP Cup. He beat Kachanov in an epic five-setter, went to a fifth-set tiebreak at the Australian. He tested Rafa there as well. It was a tight four-setter. And then he got injured, and he ended up pulling out of Acapulco and then pulling out of Delray Beach as well. I believe it was Delray that he was supposed to play in. Um, But, you know, Kyrgios just has not been what anyone expected, obviously. The fact that he hasn't been top 10 is pretty ridiculous considering he came out of the scene by beating Rafa Nadal at Wimbledon as a teenager. And last year he finished poorly. He lost first round in Canada. Unfortunately doesn't get the chance to redeem his result there because, you know, uh, that tournament's not going to be played. So you just carry over your points. Only made the second round in Cincinnati. Only made the third round at the U.S. Open. And he didn't play the European Asian hardcourt stretch, which is Shanghai, Paris, you know, Tokyo or Beijing, whichever one of those you choose. Um, Vienna, Basel, you know which tournaments it are. So he does have a chance to gain points if if the schedule is played out almost entirely. But the question is just what version of Kyrgios we get. Do we get an inspired, motivated Kyrgios? Because if we do, that will be one of the most exciting parts of this year, seeing him ignited. However, I think that, yeah, in fact, I'm positive that one of my bold predictions before this season was that Kyrgios would finish the year outside the top 40. And look at him right now. He's at 40. He's completely teetering on that line. So we'll see if he wants to turn around and make a push for the top 20 or if he wants to continue to slip and fall out of the top 40. And I say wants to like it's his decision because it kind of is. If he's motivated and fully devoted, you know, he's a top 20 player in the world. His weapons are ridiculous. And it's just a matter of putting it all to use and working hard on his game and, you know, playing matches smart and not deciding to throw in the towel because you just don't want to play that day. So I really want to see what we get from him. And even more exciting would be if he faces off against one of the guys who he's come after, who are all, you know, much higher ranked than him, but who he has the potential to beat any of them on any given day. So that's going to be really interesting to see. Moving on to the fourth player who I think that we should be on the lookout for, Matteo Berrettini, who is the highest ranked player on this list, sitting at world number eight. But there's so much that's interesting about where he's currently positioned in the rankings because he's only had two full years on tour before this, and his breakthrough came decently late into last season. I don't think many people expected him to be in London at all. And then, of course, he's only played two matches this year due to injury. He played an Ultimate Tennis Showdown in an exhibition uh, during COVID, and he looked pretty good. He beat Poss there. Now, the result doesn't mean much because it's a ridiculous format. There are cards that you can... Employed that give you certain advantages and all that, and you're playing with a shot with a clock, so it's nothing like normal tennis. But he looked good, his forehand as ridiculous as ever. And you know, he has the look of a top 15 player to me. It's just a little bit weird that he's number eight in the world. You look at the competition, there's it's not like there's a clear cut guy who he's edging out. Monfi obviously has been off to a tremendous start this season, racking up a couple titles early. Rublev did as well. You would think Shapovalov, who we're going to talk about in just a bit, could have capitalized on that spot, but right now it's Berrettini. He's tied with Monfi, so one big thing to look out for with him is how that race shakes out, and if you take out the points that he got from London, which obviously will be dropped before London, then he's actually 200 points behind Monfi in that sense, but as far as another exhibition that he played in, he lost in a tight two-setter to Rublev, but he's just a guy who's tough to beat when he's really dictating with his forehand. He can pound that thing down your throat all day and it's really imposing now he does have a couple big results to defend down the stretch he made the semis at the U.S. Open of course which was his signature result and then also made the semis at Shanghai so if Shanghai doesn't end up being played that's probably to his advantage because then he holds on to those points which just makes it easier for him to sneak into London and I'm interested because he's not going to climb in the rankings in all likelihood Uh, there's a decent gap between seven and eight But again, 8 and 9 are exactly tied right now. So I want to see, you know, the race to London is one interesting aspect. But more than anything, I want to see if he can legitimately hold his position as a top 10, 12 player in the world. Because the top 8 is, you know, a very specific number. I just want to see if he belongs in this tier. Because we just haven't seen that many matches from him. He's barely played 100 career ATP matches. And he just burst onto the scene. And you can see the talent. He's certainly talented. But it's a bit weird that a 24 year old has just come onto the scene now and he's having this great success. So I want to see if he can sustain it. And that's something I'm going to be looking out for. Definitely. On the flip side, another Italian who has not proven all that much yet, but has overwhelming potential is Yannick Sinner, who is number 73 in the world at just 18 years old, already has some of the hardest strokes on tour hits that forehand as hard as he wants, and it goes in most of the time. Just 3-5 and on the year, so really from him, I want to see more consistent results because he hasn't won back-to-back matches yet this year. We saw him battle with Tommy Haas, which was a lot of fun. Shout out Tommy Haas for going out there and putting up some legitimate results in those exhibitions. But right now, he's the youngest player in the top 100. We don't consistently see 18-year-olds get any results on tour right now you know, there are exceptions, Paz, Zverev, whatever, but right now I was talking about how I'm excited about Brandon Nakashima, who's 18, almost 19, and he's 220 in the world, so the fact that Sinner has beaten some legitimate people, I expect to continue to see good things from him, and, uh, you know, Cincinnati, that's a surface that favors him, I would say, that's a fast, hard court, U.S. Open, similar there, it's not quite as fast because Cincinnati's ridiculous, but I want to see him get a big win, I want to see him push some really top guys, and have some consistency. That's what I want to see from him. Another guy who sort of has the same theme and a lot of similar traits, talking about an overwhelmingly talented young guy who just hasn't put it quite all together. Now they're on different tiers, but another guy I'm going to be looking out for is Denis Shapovalov, who I mentioned earlier, he's number 16 in the world right now, but he's just 4-7 and this year, and he's 21 now. So it's kind of time for him to break into the top 10 and start establishing himself as... You know, the kind of guy who's making slam semis and contending for titles. Now in the era of the big three, I don't know how realistic that is because literally no one fits that bill except maybe Dominic Team because he's made um, three slam finals now. But, you know, Shapovalov is, to me, the most talented of any of the young guys. Ridiculous strokes from both sides, can absolutely pound the ball, great serve, and is just, he should be better than this right now. Four of his losses this year are to guys outside of the top 50. So on that side, we see some really miserable performances from him. But then on the other side, he started the year at the ATP Cup playing incredibly, beat Tsitsipas, beat Zverev, pushed Diminar, who has also been playing great, to three, and pushed Novak Djokovic to three, and then turns around after that and loses five of his last six matches before the tour is suspended. So, you know, last year he made the finals at Paris. That was probably his biggest result of the year, so if that tournament is played, he's going to have to find a way to defend at least most of those points, but at the same time, just because he's been, you know, really a pretty inconsistent uh, figure on tour thus far, he has lots of points to gain elsewhere, doesn't have ridiculously impressive results, and I don't know, I want to see a slam semi from him, I assume that if that happens, it's going to come at the U.S. Open, not the French, and maybe that's too much to ask, but, or if it's, you know, getting to the finals at Paris or Shanghai or something again. I just need to see more from him because one of my bold predictions before this year was that either he or Felix would end the year in London and really doesn't look like that's going to happen right now. And so it's not about that goal necessarily. This is a weird year, but he's had all this time to collect himself, to continue to improve, to solidify his game. And I don't know. I think it's mental at this point. It's about point development. It's about shot selection and it's about winning the big ones because... There's not a shot out there that he can't hit with anyone on tour. And, I mean, I really mean that. This dude is freakishly talented, and he's getting to that age where you sort of either put up the results or you don't. And maybe that's been delayed now. We've seen it with Dominic Thiem, who's 26 now and just made his, you know, first slam final a couple years ago. And now is really, he's world number three. Passed up Roger Federer legitimately but 21, once you're in the 20s, I want to see you competing, getting out there and really pushing the top guys and beating them sometimes. And Chapovalov isn't quite there yet when I really think he should be. So let's move into the last two here. And these guys are both perennial top 10 players when they're healthy, who have just had brutal injuries that have kept them from playing at all in 2020. So I'll talk about them individually. And the first one is Juan Martín del Potro. And Delpo is ranked 128 in the world right now. That's one spot above Annie Murray, who you could make a case should also be on this list if he's able to stay out on the court. I'm just, I think that the hip injuries have been so brutal for him. I don't know, he had bright moments last year in 2019. Um, I'm not sure if he'll be able to to compete consistently. I'm not sure about Delpo either. I just think that we've seen Delpo overcome so much already. And yes, he's missed 14 months with this knee injury, Um, but he started 2019 ranked number four in the world, and he's battled wrist injuries since, what, 2012, and he's found a way even without a backhand to come back and compete in the top five. He's only 31 years old, so I just have the ultimate faith in this man to recover from whatever is put in front of him. I know that this has been particularly brutal. A bunch of, I think, unexpected complications have arisen within this process, but I mean, he lost his two-handed backhand, and he was still able to make slam finals and get back into the top five in the world. And when we look at his last fully healthy season, 2018, I shouldn't say fully healthy. I don't remember if it was fully healthy. It almost never is for Delpo, but at least primarily healthy. In 2018, he went 47-13, and made six finals, one Indian Wells. If you look at how he performed in the slams, made the semis at the French, the quarters at Wimbledon, finals at the U.S. Open, where he beat Rafa in the semis, he also pushed Rafa to a tight five-setter at Wimbledon that year in the quarters. He beat Fed at Indian Wells to win that tournament, and so, yes, maybe there's a little more physical deterioration from him, but I don't think it gets much worse than basically not having a second wrist. And, yeah, knees are tough. I know I've had knee problems myself, uh, and he's you know now on the wrong side of 30, as they say, but... I just have the ultimate faith in him to come out there and win matches, and I think that one of my bold predictions from before this year was that he would make a slam final. Now, with things being as abbreviated as they have been, I wouldn't put money on that as is, but I do think he has more potential than Murray or the other big name who has missed this entire year due to injury, Kanish and Corey, who we're about to get to. I just think he has more potential to make a splash and to go out there and beat a top guy on any given day because... You know, the dude just keeps coming at you. And burst onto the scene in 2009 with one of the greatest single tournament runs ever. And I believe that he has deep within him the ability to do versions of that every time he gets out there. Because his forehand might be the greatest groundstroke I've ever seen. When it's really on, it is unstoppable. His cross-court forehand is unfathomably powerful and accurate and it pulls you so far off the court and most of the time it doesn't even have to because you just can't get there so you know that's a debate for another time if it's the best shot ever a lot of people would say Rafa's forehand some people would say Djokovic's backhand but the fact that he's even in that conversation that he has something like that in his arsenal not to mention he's a massive server he's really improved his slice backhand now obviously because he's had to depend on it I would not bet against him I would never bet against him no matter what the evidence says as far as his bodily deterioration. So I really am truly excited to see him get back out there, especially at the U.S. Open, which is his signature slam, I would say. Made the finals there in 2018, obviously won it back in 2009, and it really plays to his strengths, that surface. I just want to see him get back out there and have some good results. He has nowhere to go but up in the rankings, and I really hope it goes well because he discussed the possibility of retiring. This injury has been so brutal and I just really don't want to see that, because his story is in some ways heartbreaking, but in other ways it's incredibly inspiring that yes, you know, this talent was damaged, but it wasn't squandered and he's salvaged uh, what he has and, you know, pu- just put everything together and still had a great career in spite of such devastating injuries. So I'm really excited and I want to see him. And then the last guy who I think we should all look out for is Kanish Shakury, who is ranked number 31 right now. And maybe this is just a me thing. I feel like I've really forgotten about Nishikori because he was ranked number 7 in the world at the last tournament he played, which was the U.S. Open last year. Now, he did not play well on the late-year hardcourt stretch. He lost in the first round at both Cincinnati and Canada. But he made the quarters of the first three slams of the year. And, you know, for so long, he has been a fixture in the top 10. Obviously, a former U.S. Open finalist. So, I just... I, I think that, and again, maybe this is just a me thing. I've forgotten how good Nishikori is, how consistent he is, and I just want to see him back out there and healthy and putting up results. There are a few other guys who, you know, I thought about for this list. Dusan Lajovic has just been having a great year, and, you know, Dan Evans, guys like that who have just been playing really well, and I want to see what they can do. Not Not necessarily anything insanely distinctive about their returns, just, you know, can they keep it up? Deeper cut, Wu Kwan, Igor Gerasimov, guys who I was praising pretty heavily throughout the early part of the season just because they were putting up results that I didn't expect, and it was impressive from them. So, you know, you have the young Americans too, Opelka, Fritz, Tommy Paul, I think I talk about those guys enough because my American bias always shows through, and the most excited I'm about of that bunch is probably Tommy Paul just because he's been playing so much better than we've ever seen from him before whereas Fritz has been around consistently. Riley Opelka uh, has been around a bit more consistently than Tommy Paul, at least. But Nakashima is the most excited I am about any of them because he hasn't had the chance to let me down on the big stage yet. So that's going to do it for us here today. Hope you've enjoyed. We're going to continue previewing the return of both the ATP and WTA, which is just around the corner for the WTA and only a couple weeks out for the ATP. So I've been Carson Brabber, and this was Down the Line.